everyone, this is Things Jesus Never Said. This is our first episode. This podcast has the intention to bring to the public space uh, the values of the Christian message and prove and show that these values are still very important today. We decided to start this podcast because on the context that we live today of a pandemic, uh, more people need and feel the need to connect to their faith. And it's precisely because of COVID that we are here today because we're gonna discuss a bit of this goings on about how we answer to this pandemic. We as a community of faith. Um, with me is my wife, Alicia Ambrosio. Uh, can you introduce yourself? I guess the thing I usually say is I am formerly Vatican Connections, not that that makes me any more of an expert than anyone else, but I've spent the last 10 years working in religious media. I've covered the church inside and out, seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And now I do communications for a church that, plot twist, is not my own. And that's opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of things that we could be doing better and things that we can learn from each other as a faith community. Okay, so just to underline, the intention of this um, uh, podcast is not uh, criticize uh, the answer to uh, COVID on the part of any church. It's just to highlight that we all see it. I believe everybody within the church see it, that this is an opportunity more than a curse. Uh, yes, it's not fortunate, and we will never say that it's fortunate that we got this um pandemic out there but it is an opportunity for the church to use new tools to evangelize but we need to know how to use them properly so i'm going to start as from where it matters why it feels wrong to fight these rules that are being imposed on churches uh, several communities of faith that are out there and they are all up in arms saying this is the end of the world we can't have our services as we used to why, is, why it feels wrong as a community of faith to, to mm -hmm. fight it. So depending on who you ask, if you ask certain members of the Christian family, they will tell you it is our duty to fight back against these government-imposed restrictions. Restrictions that are 100% aimed at preventing the spread of a virus that we still don't fully understand. In some jurisdictions, it might be valid to say that those restrictions are misguided, but they are not malicious. Um, so yeah, if you ask, certain people will say, no, absolutely not, we've got to fight this, this is not wrong. However, what I've seen is when a community of faith, when a church focuses on fighting the government, um, government-imposed safety measures against COVID, they take their eye off the ball. They stop asking, how do we continue to be Christ for the world while our physical doors are closed? So I have seen churches that did not panic. I was fortunate enough to be doing, directing the communications for a church that did not panic when our our province brought in um, safety protocols that required the suspension of in-person worship. 
And so the clergy immediately started focusing on if we can't have our physical doors open, and the church I worked for actually couldn't even open for private personal prayer. Their own internal organization just didn't allow that. Um, and the clergy started asking, how do we do this? How do we maintain community? How do we maintain connection? How do we continue being body of Christ if we can't gather in person? And the ideas that came out of that were um, incredible. They encompassed all different kinds, all the different technological tools that we have. Some clergy chose to use Facebook Live. Some chose to make short videos on their phones and share. Some used Zoom to have different gatherings. Um, there were just so many ideas and some found ways to connect face to face in person with folks in a safe way so um it, 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 the, the church had also gone through transition and had a new pastor appointed in mid covid in the middle of the shutdown and so the only way for the congregation to get a chance to meet their new pastor face to face was to have small, outdoor, physically distanced, masks on, um, in-person gatherings in the middle of the week. And, you know, four or five people would show up, but that was four or five people over the course of a month. And, you know, a, a good handful of people got to know their, their new pastor. Whereas the churches who haven't, the churches who panicked and went into this is an attack on our freedoms mode, didn't do that. They didn't do anything more than live stream. Yeah. If that. And, it, and, and there's one thing that is that, that, that it needs to be clear, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to do this podcast, uh, this, this, particular, this particular theme, is that this is not a political issue. It never was a political issue. It's a public health issue, and the churches um, need to understand that, that... There are families within their within their community that have been affected by this pandemic, and not only by the economic strength, but by the actual disease itself. There are people that there are people out there that lost family members, and the more the more I look at it, when you fight it, you are forgetting that there are people within our, within your midst mm -hmm. that are suffering, not only economic like economical uh, difficulties, but above all actual grief from losing family members. And when you fight it, these people will feel that you are undermining my own grief. There's two things there. When a church decides to focus on the political politi politicization of a virus and prevention of a virus, they're not doing any, they're not putting their energy into maintaining connection with their parishioners. So more often than not, they're not hearing those stories. They're not hearing from the parishioners who have lost their jobs because of the pandemic. They're not hearing from the parishioners who have lost a loved one in a care home because of the pandemic. So they're not able to provide pastoral care for the folks in those situations. They're not able to minister to folks in those situations because they're not aware that they exist in their community. Yeah. And again, again, I keep underlining this. This is not a critic. It's just the way, like, it's as an outsider looking at it, 
this is the way people on the pews that are not on the pews right now we all mm-hmm. know that but as we in, in the church virtual, language we in church language we're, in the virtual pews in the virtual pews this is the way people are understanding mm-hmm. it out there and you like i had a a, a a priest a couple of days from back home turning to back home portugal i am from portugal um <laughs> Uh, turning to me and saying, I have always the same 15 people on my live streams. Mm-hmm. And it starts feeling frustrating. And on their case, they have people within the churches. They have people mm-hmm. inside the churches with many measures. They followed it. They, there was some, let's say, kerfuffle in the beginning about what measures and why we need to institute these measures. But in the minute that they realized... This is a pandemic. We can't fight it. We need to find ways to live it. And he was saying, but I get always the same 15 people watching. And and I said, that's not a that's not your worry right now. You are helping those 15 people connect to their faith. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be the, the main worry, I believe, mm-hmm. of the communities of faith today. If you get those 15 people, you are giving those 15 people a possibility that they were not given given before. And I know, for example, with the, in the church that you work in, uh, you work in uh, they have had people from all over watching their, yes. their services. So you were not reaching those people before. And for a reason, they found you. And... As Catholics, we put a lot of focus on the live stream numbers because we focus a lot on the liveness of a service. Not every denomination has the same that same importance on the service being live. And so they'll watch later. What has struck me is seeing sometimes, yes, only 30 or 40 people appearing to watch on the live stream. But within 24 hours, 300 have viewed the recording. Yeah, I, and and I I usually the example myself. I I've not been in a public service since probably January because my work doesn't allow me to go every Sunday. Um, but I watch it from a parish in Portugal. Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been watching pretty much because it's the language that I I grew up in. So I look for yes, I have a parish in my diocese, the diocese I live in, that uses the same language but I don't feel the same connection so the way for me as a Catholic to feel a different connection in spite of the fact I'm not present there it's to watch something that already happened eight hours of eight hours ago so that experience like again we, as you said the concentrating on the live views is not necessarily the problem because people watch it when they can't Especially if they know they are dispensed from their Sunday obligation. But what you've said raises something else that I've noticed. This is also the moment when the faithful are telling their church and their leaders something important. If a diocese has really poor formation of seminarians and their priests, as a result, the priests in the diocese are really poor preachers, this is the moment where your faithful are discovering that there are other dioceses out there, other churches in the same language, where the homiletics, the preaching is better. And maybe not better, but it's what they need. Yeah. And again, it goes back to this um, 
to this. Not nothing wrong. And again, I don't. I don't. I have nothing against bringing politics to to, uh, to almost to a certain extent. But when you feel that kind of being told that you are outside, you have a tendency to just run away. But that's mm-hmm. that's what happens. Um, but I feel that with this pandemic, more than ever, the politics in this issue drove people away more than drag them than than. Mm-hmm. bring them in and that is i think the main issue here like and you have the reaction to certain and this brings me to another point that has been probably the main reason and i've been saying this the main reason we we decided to do this was because when you tell people my donations are low you are telling them i don't need you i need your money right so some dioceses have been and parishes have been very good about just being honest about the fact that in order to provide you with a live stream mass, in order to um, make sure the church is open several hours a day for private prayer, in order to host small group gatherings, small ministry gatherings on Zoom, it still costs money right? The lights still need to be turned on. Someone still need Zoom is not free, basically. Um, and so some churches have been very honest. And what I have seen is that as long as in exchange, the parish or the church is trying to provide something for its faithful, the faithful respond. And as long as they are still able, as long as they still have income, and they haven't lost their income through the pandemic, they are supporting their church financially and in other cases where and i notice that this tends to coincide with the churches and the dioceses that have decided to politicize the issue and they've taken their eyes off the ball as i've said and they haven't focused on how can we foster connectivity those tend to be and this is just my experience. Again, you're right. I'm not trying to criticize. I'm just pointing out that this is the pattern I have noticed. Those are the places where parishioners aren't supporting, aren't financially supporting the parish because they're not getting anything back at this time. They're not feeling like they're part of this community at this moment. So that's why this, again, parishioners are voting. They're essentially telling you whether you have supported them or not. Yeah. And it's being reflected in how much they are supporting you financially. It, it brings it, it brings us to the to the, an issue that we've been we've been discussing in our conversations about this that it's that it's the the, the churches following on that trap of the message we have is good, so why we worry about these things, um, mm. and and not worrying about what it, what we're actually providing to people, mm-hmm. what are, what are, what kind of of, of community of faith we show that we are right. by behaving this the way. Number one, the number one trap that all, that not all, the number one trap that religious communities can fall into is our message is good, so the form doesn't matter. Exactly. The content is good, the form doesn't matter. Here you go. Exactly. I don't even have to put it on the website if it's, I don't want to. Exactly. Or I, have, I can put it out there and I don't have to tell you that it's there. You should just know it's there exactly. because it's that good. Exactly. Uh, We've been kind of touching into it, but what can we do? The number one thing is, this is not the time to panic. 
don't panic. Again, my experience is the churches that have panicked are the ones that are now asking why. Why is my attendance down? Why are my donations down? Um, they're also the churches that have not done anything to foster community and connection throughout this pandemic. How we communicate at this moment is important. So um, you can't completely stop talking about finances because it's a real thing. How you talk about the finances is important. You have to learn, you have to know to separate pastoral communication from housekeeping communication. So in our jurisdiction, you know that we went through one, one lockdown, quote unquote lockdown. It wasn't called a lockdown officially. We went through one period of hiatus where we could not gather in person. Restrictions were lifted. We got used to uh, gathering in person for worship with limited numbers. And we just recently went back into a second period of hiatus. How you communicate the changes when you're back into this moment of hiatus, that first moment, the communication needs to be pastoral. It is 100% pastoral. And don't confuse that with anything else. It needs to be pastoral. That's not the time to launch a financial appeal. Like, one of the things that I, not not in the jurisdiction I li- we live in, but in other jurisdictions in North America, I've seen people uh, talking about how bad Christmas is going to be, and then doing, we need donations on the same, right? Like on the same uh, exercise, basically, on the same communication uh, uh, mm-hmm. letter, if you want to call it that way, um, use a way to we need donations yeah asking for donations is not pastoral care yeah that is the wall the wrong moment priests out there if you're listening asking for donations is not pastoral care do not put that in your pastoral letter when you have to announce a second shutdown exactly and if you do that i will come after you (laughs) yeah and and that's that's exactly exactly the point of all of this it's like yes we all know we need money to run our communities Obviously, but money is not and can't be the final goal of your pastoral care. That's that's the main thing of of, of this. Um, in terms of the what we can do, the more I think, it's just be there for people. And people say, how can I do it? Not being present. Just be there. You have all the means out there. You have your Facebook pages. You have your Instagrams. You have. I just before we started recording, I showed you a priest back home that been doing DJing parties for the for these parishioners. I know this is very out there, <laughs> but it is something. He realized he could connect with his base mm-hmm. by doing that lives on Instagram. You have to think too. Okay, so your your audience, your group of faithful, are not homogenous. They don't look for information in the same way. They're not searching for the same type of information. And they have different attention spans, different circumstances. So you need to cover all the bases. I've seen everything from create a really simple Instagram post that is a colored background with a quote from the Psalm of the day from morning prayer. From that to obviously to live streaming evening prayer, to live streaming Taize prayer, um, certain nights of the week to, um, well, I just finished setting up what is going to be the Christmas nativity scene 
a 24-hour channel. So we've all seen the Yule Log or the Fireplace channel. The church I work for is set starting is offering the 24-hour Christmas nativity scene channel. Well, in your in your in your case, that nativity scene is very iconic in the jurisdiction we live in. Right. But but it is a way to. Well, because it's iconic to the city, um, normally the church physically opens the doors and people can come all day long to come and visit that nativity scene throughout Advent. This year it's not possible. So if we can't physically open the doors, let's virtually open the doors. And there's a whole bunch of things being planned. Choir members will come in. One to two choir members. We have some who are in a bubble. One to two choir members will come in at certain times and sing. Priests, when they are in the building, will come and sit in this alcove where the nativity scene is set up and lead a simple prayer, whether it's the morning prayer of the day or the Magnificat or whatever their favorite prayer is. And, you know, we're going to throw in funny things too, like the person on staff who is most like Mr. Bean, we're going to give him some toys (laughs) so that he can play in the nativity scene. But I've also seen the attempt to do safe, physical, in-person things. So um, creating something like cutout stars that parishioners will write their prayers on for Advent, and those will be hung up in the church as part of the decorations for Advent. Care packages being put together and delivered to families with booklets for at-home prayers around your Advent wreath and Advent, different Advent activities. One one of the activities that I've seen, and again, I go back again to the to Portugal, where where I get a lot of uh, information about how to live COVID in a different way that it, that it is here. Um, one of the dioceses decided to ask their faithful to do make a star, buy a star, and put it in their in their uh, doors, in their kitchen, whatever they felt like they would see it and symbolize we want Jesus to be born in this house mm. this year. On this difficult year, we want that to happen. This week is a star. Next week will be something different. Basically, the diocese is trying to make it unity of their faithful mm. to like everybody's trying to do the same this week. And everybody's together in this. There's prayers, there's all of that. And there's numbers of ideas of things, activities that can be done to make your community feel together in this time of, of trial. And I think we need to say it goes, it requires creativity and there is a need to think outside the box. I remember an English teacher in high school who said um, he was, you know, expert in uh, English poetry. And the one problem he had, he said, teaching in our Catholic school was that you give us a bunch of Catholic students an apple tree, they give you the Garden of Eden. And we fall into that trap sometimes. We are so um, attached to our schemas, to how we see ministry and pastoral care and church, that when we say, you have to minister, you have to find a way to minister to your flock at this time. The first thing we think is mass. That, yes, exactly. And that brings it, that that brings me to something that I think it's more profound in in the Anglo-Saxon, because we all know in in 
Canada and the, in the United States and even in the UK, um, Catholics were persecuted at some point. And the tendency that the church here had was to close itself within the walls of the churches. Um, and coming from a reality where Catholic, <laughs> being Catholic was default, it is default. There's 88% of the population is Catholic, so you live with it. And it, there's a, a um, with mainly with these big feasts and, and all of that, there's uh, like Easter, Christmas, there's this tendency to do whatever you do within your closed doors. And I think a little bit of what you might call historic memory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The us versus them yeah. got very deeply ingrained. So deeply ingrained, we almost don't realize, our churches in North America almost don't realize when they're locking themselves into silos and ghettos. Yes. And, it, and it's exactly the other point that I want to make. And again, uh, you work for a non-Catholic uh, church. Uh that's the right, not, not quite the right, but anyway, it's it's not a Roman <laughs> Catholic church, let's say it this way. Uh, but um, this opportunity, I think, and living it through you in a sense, it's a big opportunity for Christian unity, for churches, Christian churches out there to mm -hmm. cooperate, to use anything that, you know, the Anglican church down the street is doing and it actually serves my purpose. There's nothing wrong on mm -hmm. living Christmas with your brother Christ Christians. Well, there was only one Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So we all believe in the same. Tell that to the current generation of priests coming out of seminaries. So unfortunately, the kind of unity that you're describing, the kind of ecumenical cooperation that you're describing sounds like a no-brainer. We're all in the same boat. We're all facing the same restrictions. We all believe that Christmas is not about bows and packages and gifts, but it's about this child who was born in a manger. Um, and yet there is a startling percentage of priests today in North America. They tend to be young and they tend to believe that ecumenism is about befriending those other Christian churches in order to explain to them why they're wrong and why we're right. So if that's your attitude, if that's the attitude you're starting out with, mm -hmm. you're never going to turn to the Anglican or the Methodist church down the street or the Lutheran church down down the block and say, hey, let's let's put together some videos that we can share with all of our congregations. You're never going to do that. And that's a big barrier I've seen. Yeah. We're getting to the end of, the, of this. Um, we know that it's been trying times for everybody, like being in lockdowns and situations like this. But this is Advent, right? Actually, the more I think about it, uh, um, Advent is the right time to be in lockdown because <laughs> you are preparing for something. Um, what's your message? for this advent, for people out there that are in their homes and can't get out and can't visit their churches, some of them. So I think advent has been misunderstood. It has been turned into, it's morphed into the pre-Christmas shopping season in a lot of ways. And so we've made advent about 
an opportunity to find moments of stillness while you're going about the hustle and bustle of shopping and baking and cleaning your house and preparing for the big Christmas dinner. And this year that's not there. So use this really unique time to dive into Advent and understand what it was always supposed to be. Understand what kind of preparation it's actually about. It's not necessarily about trying to squeeze in moments of calm in between your shopping. And this year that we really can't shop or shouldn't be shopping, and if you've been out shopping, what the heck, go home. Um, Without the shopping, then what is it about? It used to be a penitential season. That's why we use purple. Um, It used to be about re-examining where we are at this moment. It's also, it's the start of the liturgical year, right? So it's the start of a new year. And anytime you start a new year, it is about examining what happened in the past year. What needs to change? Is there anything I need to change? What did I, what can I let go of? Is there anything I feel I need to let go of? Is there anything new I need to recommit myself to? That's what Advent was supposed to be. And remembering a former pre a priest at my parish former i say former i say, what i mean is like he's now with god <laughs> he's no longer with us but he one year tied the advent season to the magic and the fluff and the sparkle that we see everywhere and he said that it is a magical season not because of the bows and the ribbons and the packages and the parties and the tinsel and the glitter But it is a magical season because if you are doing that exploration and that questioning of what do I need to work on? What did I mess up on this past year? What do I need to recommit to? You discover people you've forgotten. Aches in your soul that you need to deal with that lead you perhaps to heal former relationships, rediscover new, you know, friendships. Um, it, it leads you essentially to take, like, like when you're looking through the lens of a camera and you just turn the lens a little bit to focus and it puts everything into clear perspective. And he said, it is a magical season, but it means diving into it and opening your hearts. So... That's my advice. Dive in. Um, Dive in and ask the hard questions. And find the magic. And above all, don't panic! (laughs) Yeah. Again, to close it, in my my sense, I I keep remembering what I heard at Mass this morning. Again, by that priest that was um, doing DJing party. Um, He said, this is the season to look around and think have we been taking care of our common home the right way this pandemic is no more than a warning people mm-hmm. this pandemic is telling us you are treating your home like there's no tomorrow but there is tomorrow there are people that need to live here tomorrow and and guess what we are the only church or the only faith Who's God knows our pains because he lived it. He lived in a body like ours. And 
So he knows our pains. He knows that if we are behaving that way, we forgot what matters. This all to say, in this season, is the season for us to look at our life as it was before all of this started and think, what is of it that I don't need? What is of it that I can share with others? What is of it that I need to have more of? And I believe, in a sense, not wanting to say that the pandemic is a God-given opportunity. No, it's even not. Even Pope Francis said that. This it's is not... not... It's not even a punishment. It's just a moment that God is telling us. Stop and think of that little baby that I gave you to be born among you. He changed the world because he wanted to be one of the little ones. And because of that, it's the time for us to think of, okay, what is of this, that are all of these things that I wanted to buy this Christmas and I can't. Why and how I'm going to live this Christmas differently. Um, it was great to talk to you. It was, again, it was an, a, sh a sharing experience that we wanted to give to people because it really, it's really important that, that we get out there. This is not a panic moment. Do not hit the panic button yet. It is a moment for us to, as a community of faith, to get together and share. And dive deeper. Okay, everyone, this was Things Jesus Never Said first episode we will be back for sure and stay tuned for more see you soon